Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. I no, was having I mean, fun you know. with, I was, I'm half serious. Like, I'm glad I get to come in and I've listened to a bunch. First of oh, all, good. I'm a fan. Thank you. And my placement in the timeline of your new show does not affect me in any way. If I was first, I would be honored. Oh, if good. I was now, I'm honored. Like, and I was teasing you that I didn't want to come on until you'd work the kinks out. Right. So. But. What kinks? This show is fucking hot from the Are we doing notes? I'll do notes. I mean, you go ahead. I have tell a lot of you, notes about Tell me your what podcast. you want. Well, I have a question for you. Give what makes me. what makes a good interview? Uh, somebody that's willing to share. Someone that's willing to do some introspection. And I'm willing cuz I'm willing to. I'm willing to do some introspection and there have been things that I have said on this on this podcast that I have later been like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And then I think, eh, it's all, you know, like, what What am I saying? Like, I have warts. Uh, you know, I'm human. Mm-hmm. I have weaknesses. And, Revealing. Yeah, and I have okay. weaknesses and fears. Like, so what? Who doesn't? And But there are people that definitely. Is it, it vulnerable? Is it that having a guest who is willing to be vulnerable? Vulnerable. No. To, to me, vulnerable. I'm not here just. I mean, the, the, <laughs> this is turned quickly serious. I don't want this show to be exploitative or voyeuristic. I want it to be introspection. I want to hear people thinking about themselves and trying to figure out why they are the way they are. Because that to me is like close to the essence of what you're supposed to do with your time on this planet. Mm -hmm. So, and there are some people to whom introspection and it is not like uh, anything they're that interested. You know, it's like it's like me and hockey. Like, well, you know, I can see. It seems like fun, <laughs> but no, it's not for me, you know. And I think there's a lot of people, and I've had people on the show that I just, you just kind of get the sense like, okay, this is not something you're into. And I, you know, fuck, I, so there's times, you know, like in some Woody Allen-ish way, I wish I wasn't so goddamn navel-gazy and up my own ass and... Yeah. You know. Yeah. Pass me the probiotics uh, for the hands. Oh, you mean the... I call it probiotics for the hands. <laughs> it's it's not. It's antibiotics. It's murder. He's purelling it up, folks. We've started, by the way. Do you know, I know that? that? Yeah, I know yeah. That. of course. Okay. Of course. You're a showbiz professional. I am. I mean, you people know that I'm talking to Matt Walsh. You three questioners know that this is Matt Walsh. And my know. question was sincere, like what makes a good interview as somebody, yes. who, so, as somebody who has their own show now? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, and I don't, 
I, I mean, definitely. I don't. I try not to think about it too much. I try not to think right. about right. How am I? How am I interviewing this person so it goes out into the world and is listened to? I think about what do I want to know from this person and what conversation do I have with this person? Got it. Do I want to have with this person? Because I do feel that if I'm not following what I want as me, it's not going to be as good. And I just have to have a trust in that the honesty and the truthfulness of me being me, whether it's on camera, on the Conan show, or here in this, in this studio on a podcast, that's going to make the best show. And that's just like a philosophy that I have around. And I see people who aren't themselves in situations where the idea of the show is be yourself. And this, for this, however long it's on TV, be yourself. Be yourself and pursue what you want out of this hour then it's going to be way more interesting than if you're thinking about what an audience wants. It just lays on too much oh, of course. thought and, well, it's and a gamble. motivation. It's also a gamble. Yeah, you're, 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 you might be fucking wrong. Your predictive abilities may be very disappointing. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> so true. To, to predict an audience's reaction to something you find funny or, yeah. or perfect. Yeah. But you, your gut is true. I agree with that. Your gut tells you where... The goodness for you lies yeah. in a very simple way. Yes, and, also, and I live that way, too, and I try to be an artist that way as well. Yeah, and also, too, it's my life. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I, I well, got to. F to the yeah. Yeah. You've earned this I stuff. Mean, well, it's like, got, yeah, like, I'm going to do what I want to do because it's, I, it may be a convenient rationale that like, oh, yeah, it's also like makes the best whatever this is. But it's, and I mean, when I even like, when I host a game show, I, I. I slave to, I'm a slave to the game because the game shows, it annoys me when I'm in game shows and they want me to be, they write me jokes. Like, no, fuck the jokes, man. Let's get to the game and be funny in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, but it's the same thing. I want to play the game and I want to be in the game and I want to do what I want to do. And I think that that makes me better than if I was to read the jokes and do as I'm told. Right. Um, and yes, that's a convenient rationale. But I also do, I mean, now that I'm older, I do think like, yeah, that, no, that's, I, I'm the one living this. I'm the one, you know, yeah. hosting this game show. I'm the one hosting this podcast. If I'm having a shitty time, why am I doing it? You know, I mean, paycheck, yeah. But, but simpler, but it's simpler too in, in, that you're not like managing anything other than what you're sort of liking to do right. in that moment. Well, and also think in this business of phonies, how many <laughs> how many people you know that you're just like when you meet them and they're like, especially like some of the bigs that are actual genuine, real cool people, mm-hmm. how fucking amazing and electric that is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's so many of them that are just like you just feel like, oh, they're. Like, I feel like I'm reading a brochure in human form, you know? <laughs> well, anyway. Per- personalities? Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want, enough about this, because I want everyone to know how much I love you. I love and you what, too, Andy. And what an important person you are, and how this is practice. this is as close. This I think, is show one, again, I'm, I'm saying this is show one. Right. Like, this this is really when your show. I work out the kinks. This is when your show takes right. off, this interview. Fuck you, Ken Jennings. <laughs> You are practice. Now I'm really fucking. I didn't listen uh, to Ken Jennings. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. No, Congrats. Ken's great. Yeah. Ken, Ken's yeah. hilarious. I mean, you is know, he going to host Jeopardy? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I'm just. You're in show business. I know, but she's. What are you? TMZ. 
no, just yeah. a curious neighbor. No, I, I don't live know. in I, don't know I live in Toluca do. Lake, right around the corner. I I actually think that who's going to should have ridden my bike. who's going to host Jeopardy is now such an untoward question that it's not oh insensitive. Out. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, that's all right. I'm sorry, but I just I, I love just mean Alex because Trebek. come on. I know, but I mean, but come that on. whole who's going to host Jeopardy next has been just in the ether because I'm sort of like just tangentially in the Jeopardy world. Sure, because I was on Jeopardy as a celebrity, and then I become I become you know real friends with Ken. Yeah, um, so I kind of know. A little the world, bit of, you yeah, know the world, you know a, the yeah, universe, a yeah. little bit about it, and I know the people, you know. Well, I hiked by Alex's. Alex has a beautiful home in the valley, and yeah. uh, I've occasionally seen him pull throughout the driveway or something. I'm not a stalker in any way, but I, I'm very <laughs> fond of that guy, and, and works, I hope him nothing. He works but, on yeah. that house all the time. Like I've, heard, I, he I just, wouldn't know. I've never. Been. Oh, he yeah. just is. Always, I've never been to his house, yeah. but but I just know that like his schedule is not. Very much so what he does with the, and he even said once, he's like, I do a lot of work on my home. I'm putting in a new bathroom myself and I drink a lot of wine. Like that was, <laughs> that was like, he was like, this is what I do with myself. Um, he may have had some, one of the most wonderful, like perfect careers. It's not, it's pretty goddamn good. You know, yeah. it's pretty smart and yeah. he seems happy, whatever. You get to be beloved and, yeah. and, you know, you never have to break a sweat. Yeah, and you can nice. crank out a bunch of shows. Yeah, well, I mean, he's good it's at smart. it. smart. He's good at it, too. Yeah, it's not just like he dropped into it, you know. But anyway, people, uh, I was about to say, this is about as close as I will get probably to having family on this show. I think of you about that close because we've known, we've each, known each other. We've known each other forever. I've known yeah, you since the annoyance possibly longer than any other current member of my life. Yeah, I came out of college as a psych major and uh, discovered the Annoyance Theater and discovered improv when I was going to Northern. And then at the Annoyance Theater in the late 80s, I met you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Furman was, was it sort of a first conduit. Or, or Improv Olympic first? Because we were For me, involved in uh, Whoa, you're really going to throw me. I don't know. Really? Wow. I can't remember. A lot of drugs, folks. No, my entree into theater was kind of, I did improv- at Players Workshop, and then when I moved as as classes, classes, yeah, my last year of college, and then when I moved downtown, I moved to Halstead and Addison. Tell me when you think your viewers would be bored with this. <laughs> uh, they're, <laughs> they're listeners, listeners, yeah, yeah. Halstead, if they're Addison. Watching this, I don't know what they're seeing. And we lived in a uh, above a Thai restaurant that was being built, so our heat got shut off occasionally. It was very <laughs> impoverished, and during the day, I was working on a psych ward. Because I was considering being a psychologist, like I yeah. thought. And so I worked with adolescent psych kids, uh, 12 to 20, and that was really intense. And we were part of the nursing staff. Wow. And uh, we had, like, meetings, and we studied their pathologies. And uh, a lot of medications were being tested back then in the late 80s, like your Zoloss and things were just yeah. breaking out. I and mean, so still, that was- I imagine. And it's like troubled teens are a pretty captive test group, I imagine. Yeah, and they're hormonal. And so that's like treatment varied from, uh, you know, a a kid who's court ordered to get psych eval and the the judge saying, like, you're going to get psych eval and then we're going to try to get him in the military. And then that sort sort of takes care of his journey. And he comes out of all of that and he's better. There are some kids who are like, give them the right medication and get a therapeutic level and that medication will save their lives. That's like 
whether it's bipolar yeah. or psych, some uh, super depressive, I'm not a doctor, yeah, or the crazy psychosis uh, medications that sort of dampen those and help people focus. Like, so mental illness, long story, is so intense. You know, I have family members who struggle with it, like severe stuff, like mm-hmm. borderline, not borderline schizophrenic, but borderline schizophrenic, <laughs> almost schizophrenic. <laughs> you mean not, not borderline but, yeah, personality not, disorder. Yes. You mean close to yeah, I'm in the neighborhood yeah, yeah, yeah. of schizophrenia, yeah, 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 yeah. which is serious. And schizophrenic adjacent. Tragic and difficult. And ultimately doing comedy at night was much more appealing than dealing with that during the day. And I was living two lives. I literally was living two lives. But I loved it because I was hustling and I probably met you right around that era. You did. Because I remember Because I lived with Furman. Ed Furman was a roommate. I remember being really struck by that, by what a contrast it was to be working on a psych ward. Yeah. And then doing comedy. And it made me, it made you seem like uh, more grown up in some way because you were actually- Helping people and not just fucking around like we were. Well, I was torn by it for a moment, yeah. but ultimately, I am all about fucking around. Like, I don't yeah, want yeah. anything. To, thank you so much. You guys are the got, nice. Uh, this is the VIP a, coffee. A, a cup of bouillon. This is the VIP. It better not be bouillon. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <sighs> yes. It's bone broth. <laughs> My bone. <laughs> Give me the marrow of a beast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's coffee. It's Keurig from the green room. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. for the Keurigs. Um, well, but now, do you think uh, if you would, because I very much feel me getting into improv was geographic geographically driven in many ways. I would agree with you. Do you think if you grew up outside of St. Louis, you would have ended up? No. Because I'd feel the same. I might be in psychology. Yeah, if I was in Yeah. Something, yeah. I don't know that I would have figured out a way because I just was kind of a joiner and wasn't real brave. And I just had friends that were taking classes and they happened to be in town. And it's like, yeah, all right, I can do something on a Wednesday night. But now I think it's both because yeah. I think part of me also thinks like you would have found it somewhere. You might have been a little longer to it. Yeah. But like if your first job was the liquor store clerk and then the band guy needed an opening act, you might have ended up doing sketches with those guys right. or some weirdness. And yeah. then lo and behold, you're like, fuck it, let's move to Chicago because I saw about this Second City thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it might have taken you a little longer because I do agree, like, I saw a Second City touring show and I think, like, the career and school availabilities in Chicago existed because of Second City. Like, they had kind of that player's workshop and then they had Second City School and then the stage show. So to me, what SNL was doing, because I did have, like, reinforcement for being funny at a young age. I was in high school and we were the hit of the variety show. It was yeah, like we yeah. wrote our sketches and we crushed and I was incredibly famous overnight. Yeah. It was delightful. What school was it? Uh, Hinsdale South. Hinsdale South. And so it was public. You didn't go to Catholic school. I went to Catholic school until fifth grade. Okay. Something like that. And yeah, then yeah. the Burbs, uh, Darien, we, we moved to Downers Grove, which is like Southwest suburbs where there were still farms just as mm-hmm. all the subdivisions had been rolled over. So we would, Occasionally roll one of those big old, uh, when they lay the cable for the phone line, those wheels that you use the, as a yeah, patio the table. Big, the big spools. Technically stealing it from it's a, a construction yeah, site. Yeah, exactly. But we wheeled it like a mile and a half home from yeah. the subdivisions. I, I grew up further out in the, yeah. but it was that same sort of like, 
intersection of uh, of suburban to sort of encroaching onto farmland. Mm-hmm. And there was like, I just, I'm amazed that there was no deaths involved in, in our childhood because our main play area was a field that was, will, would eventually fill up with homes. And they'd still uh, plant beans, soybeans, but they took all the dirt from the foundations that were building, they were building these subdivisions and piled them up in this field. So there was like hills. Yeah. There was yeah. like a 20 foot high oh, yeah. dirt mound. Same with us. We dug fucking caves into the dirt mounds. Yikes. 20 feet into it. No, you didn't. Supported by nothing. <laughs> and would go in there with flashlights and hang out. And I mean, and of course they were like dirty <laughs> magazines and kids smoking cigarettes. And I just. They would have found you 30 years later. Fuck yes, they would have found it. It'd be like, where'd they go? I don't know. Oh, it was, I look back on it and it is, especially like as a parent, it's just chilling to me. Yeah. That we were like, yeah. we'd literally burrowed into the ground. And like I say, Yikes. deep. Yeah. Deep, like there, like six or seven of us could get in there, and it would be, and there were so many kids in the neighborhood. And I mean, it was not a big neighborhood. I'd go in there, and there'd be kids I don't know, you know, in your, like in your fort. Yeah, well, forts our, become communal once the, you build absolutely them. Absolutely, yeah. people. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's really kids are really like wildlife in some way. Like, oh look, a burrow. Yeah, Nobody's well, we built it, like tree know? forts and stuff that yeah. were unsafe. And I remember, I remember climbing up a barn. We made a a, a, a rope. So we wanted to climb up the barn Batman style. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And uh, the rope was made out of carpet remnants that were like Ugh. just this weird hand amalgam shredding, of like- Hand shredding and not safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not safe. So I got up to the very top, which was like in my mind, maybe 15, 20 feet because it was, it was a barn. And the thing broke and I fell like 15 or 20 feet onto my back. Mm. Like, and it was like made of rope, like made of carpet, like you- the dumbest yeah, thing yeah, in the world. Yeah, I'm lucky yeah. I didn't die. Yeah. Because the breath got knocked out of me, and I was so freaked out that I was dead. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, I'm not kidding. Imagine falling 20 feet onto your back now. I can, you would die, I yeah, think. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> with our old brittle bones, for sure. I One time, my brother and I, after a big snow... Basically, no supervision when we grew up. Yeah. That's the point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Go away in the morning and come back when you're hungry. Yeah. Uh, but I... After a big snow, they plow because I grew up on what had been a farm. So we had our our garage was a converted barn, Mm -hmm. and then there's just sort of like the big open area that tractors would park and cars and pickup trucks would park. So we had a big open sort of area driveway that would get plowed when there was a snow, like a cul-de-sac, basically. Kind of, yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. The house on one side and the barn on the other side, and there were a couple of other outbuildings to the that to what had been the farm mm-hmm. and they plowed it because it had been blacktop too and they plowed it and so there are these big mounds of snow probably 10 12 feet high mm-hmm. and they had started to melt and we had an old swing set that had rusted and fallen apart so we had like circus painted metal tubes that we would play with in different ways like with rusty shitty broken ends of them and we jammed one down into the snowbank and my brother I, I think he went first we I, I'm sure that we were playing like some you know very culturally insensitive version of cowboys and Indians and I first tied him to it, and then we were throwing bark off a tree at each other, tearing off big pieces of bark and throwing them at each other as if we're throwing knives. Mm -hmm. And then he tied me to it very tightly, jammed into the ground, tied to this metal pole, 
and was throwing bark at me and was like hitting me in the face and stuff. And I was like, stop it. Okay, let me go. Let me go. And he wouldn't let me go. So I thought, oh, wait, it's loose. I'll pull it out of the ground and, and walk away. But what, of course, I'm not thinking is that it's literally three feet below my feet. Mm-hmm. So when I pull it out of the ground, I cannot support myself at all. And with my, hands, with my hands tied behind me, I fell what must have been six feet onto ice, oh. landing on my forehead. Oh. And I had a knot on my forehead for years. Oh. It was like literally years, three, three, probably two, three years before it finally faded, this sort of purple, yellow, green knot. That's like a Coen Brothers fatality in oh, a movie. It was just like that slow and avoidable yeah. death. Like, how am I dying like and this? As, and as I was doing it, I was like, oh, shit. You know, like just, yeah, my hands are tied to my side. And it's icy. It's not even like... You know, I would have fallen on the ground if it had been not icy. But it, eh. I feel like I did one of those later in life, but it was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And I stepped through like a glass table. Like I knew I couldn't stop it. So yeah, I just yeah. like, I did. I pushed my foot harder so I didn't get hurt. I, I, went, I was fine. I, I went upstairs crying because it was hurt. You know, it hurt, of course. Crying with my hand over my head. And my mom was on the toilet. And I walked into the bathroom and said, like, Mom, I fell and hit my head. And she was like, ugh, like, like, leave me alone. I'm on the fucking toilet, you know? And I took my hand away, and she went, oh, my God, which made me really cry. Yeah. That made me, because I was like, yeah, oops. You scared you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was like a fucking, yeah. like, beef patty in the middle of my forehead. Oh. Yeah. Oof. I had I had photos. Numerous, Do we have any photos? No, I don't no. think so. But I had numerous head injuries. Is like playing football. I know I had multiple concussions yeah. when I played. And I but was, I think that's not unusual because oh, I know no. I played football and I had a couple. I guarantee yeah. I can think of two moments where like, oh yeah, I had my bell rung. That's exactly. They'd say you got your bell rung. And like I remember, hurt, like, and there was like a momentary blackout. Yeah, too. a big collision, and then instantly, and then my head hurt the rest of practice. Yeah. Like, I remember the game specifically, there's a big collision, and then the next thing, and then I'm just sitting on the bench. Like, no idea why I'm on the bench with yeah. my helmet off, but it's yeah. just, and I had walked over there, but, you know. So anyway, don't let your kids play football. Where Now, where were I you born? I don't think any of my kids will be playing football. I, I was born on the south really side of Chicago yeah. at a hospital called Little Company of Mary, which is the baby oh, factory nice. of the south side. Why is that? Because so, it was like baby boom central. Like so many kids were born there. Oh. Like it was just like the burgeoning south side of Chicago. How, what year were you born? 64. Okay. I think you oh, are man. on boomer cusp. Please, I call myself a Gen Xer. Okay. I'm not a boomer. All right. But I think 64 is the cutoff because when I I'm found out- I'm just going to repeat I what quiet. I just said. Okay. All right. I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah, obviously. What, what I'm month, a Gen Xer. What month were you born? I don't remember. My, do you want to know my birthday? I don't then remember. Then ask it more in, in a more hey, informal hey, way. I'm sure that my <laughs> listeners would love to know when your birthday is. Check Google. October 13th. Okay. So later in the year. Yeah. Oh, you tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to tell you first day. He's a dumb one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so and and was it just mainly a mater- uh, maternity hospital? Uh, yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. probably general care. But yeah, oddly, I bet it, I don't remember. It's, but it the, has a name. Yeah. That and the funniest like- thing is, my mom was almost a nurse, and I have pictures of her. Uh, she didn't work there, but she worked out of a hospital in the fifties where all the girls were getting trained to be nurses. Yeah. And that was like a big profession. I don't know why that made me think of that. Right. 
And you're from lots of kids, right? One of seven. One so of seven. I, yeah. And you're third? Fourth. Fourth. My, yeah. My and, mom's from Lockport, and uh-huh. my dad was from Southside Chicago. Right. And what? Uh, your dad ended up having a pretty successful industrial kind of business, right? Yes. He had a heavy machinery moving business in uh, uh, Cicero. Uh-huh. Which it was like industrial, uh, you could move a steel mill's kiln that boiled metal and you could put it in the new building they built it and you would tip it over and frame it in wood so the ceramics didn't break and then you would move it and then stand it up and that thing would weigh like 95,000 pounds. Wow. And so, so it was like industrial that, they were in moving, that world. Industrial moving. And also of. installation, like if you bought a brand new like German 7 color press from Germany and you're the Chicago Tribune, then you would need someone to install that, meet it at the port, bring it in, uncrate it, hook the electric, level it, shoot lasers, make sure it's- How does anybody, how does your dad know how to do that? You don't have to. It's like producing a movie. You just have to hire someone smarter than you. Really? I think so. Like he didn't know, he was a salesman. Oh, really? He was a salesman. He came in as a salesman and then him and like Three of the other salesmen bought the the rich owner out. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it is kind of a capitalist hero story. Did they? Did they <laughs> now, did your, did your, the affluence of your family increase as time went on? Because I remember, I yes, knew I about up, that business yeah. from seeing names on signs. Taft, it was called, right? Yeah, it was called Taft. It was, I guess it was, you might have run driven past it if you driv- drove past a factory. I didn't. Think we were affluent till we moved to the suburbs, and then we had like six kids in a three bedroom, four bedroom house, yeah. but a nicer neighborhood like the suburbs. Right. And then we moved when then we moved to like a farm. We bought like uh, my aunt, my dad had two sisters, Rose and Dorothy. God rest their souls. They were our sweet aunts. And they were the ones who didn't get married in the family. Ah. And they were close. Oh. And Aunt Dorothy, probably a lesbian today, <gasps> if, if if she was with us. Right. And started over. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it, yeah. In a different and era. And had, had, had been able to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. You know. She had some demons, unfortunately. But she was also a great aunt. She was the one who gave us culture. Like, she took our the, the little dirty white trash rugrat Walshes to museums and mm. fairs and art walks. and The gays will do that. Yeah, the gays are good with culture. Yeah. I don't, because I don't think normal life's exciting enough for them. That's why they need culture. I don't, I mean, <laughs> honestly, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I, I wouldn't, but yeah, I mean, in general terms, like I do often have, and I've said this before, like I do think like you're going to give me a choice between I got to sit next to at a wedding on a plane. In jury duty, between a gay and a straight, give me the fucking gay every time. (laughs) Because odds are you're going to just have a better time. They're going to be smarter, funnier, you know. Yeah. A gay friend of mine used to, like, she referred once to, I think it was like Ricky Martin, and it was before he was out, and... And uh, somebody was talking about whether or not he was gay, and she said, "Well, if he isn't, it's a it's a waste of a perfectly good gay man. I mean, yes, boy, that guy, he should be gay, you know. And that's and I always and I always think about that too. Like if I meet a boring gay person, I'm yeah. just like, oh man, what a waste of gay. You should be way more interesting. I'm yeah. probably very problematic that I'm saying this, but 
Well, you're 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 speaking of a positive stereotype, uh, yeah, but it is a stereotype, and that's it the is unfortunate a stereotype. part. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there are really dull gays. Of course. But generally speaking, come on. <laughs> See, you're continuing to stay uh, listen, in the subject matter. You can't resist biting. I just, I just, I love the gays. <laughs> no, I, I mean, and I can't, but I mean, I've had, my life is peopled and family and for my dad is gay. Well, my my like, son get, is gay. My, the gay I mean, culture came into my life when I was out of college. Like I think of the annoyance and people like David from the game show yeah, yeah. and Mick and uh, Joffrey. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Eric Waddell, yeah. and uh, there was a tremendous Faith Soloway. Like I got a real good dose of uh, gay culture in my early twenties, yeah. and that was wonderful. That was like a really neat, eye-opening uh, period of my life. The annoyance yeah. because you were doing. At that point, I was willing to be poor and do art for art's sake. Yeah, and see where the dice went. Right, probably made bad decisions, but you get focused later. And then the Brady Bunch. Came around, and that was, like, big news for all of us. Yeah, a show called The Real Life Brady Bunch. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, I've talked about before on this show, but it was a live, live recreations of Brady Bunch episodes on stage that was very popular at the time. Yeah. It, it coincided with a 70s nostalgia wave with, like, people think, dress, like, oh, we're wearing bell bottoms, mm-hmm. disco music, you know, and and – and it just sort of – it was very timely. And, but it was also very funny. There were a lot of really funny, talented people. It was a oh funny idea. Jane well Lynch, produced. Andy Richter. Yeah. Um, Tom Booker. Melanie Hutzel. Melanie yeah. Hutzel, yeah. 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 Mike Coleman. Mike uh, Coleman. Betty Cahill. Yeah, there was a lot of really funny fa- – David Koechner, you know, uh, did some of the some of it. Ben Zook. Yeah, Ben Zook. There was, it, was, it was really – Let's just name people from The Annoyance. Come on. Keep going. Uh, keep no, going. No, Google it. <laughs> Just Google um, alcoholics from, <laughs> from from Chicago's uptown neighborhood. High functioning alcoholics, yeah, yeah. early nineties yeah. Chicago. Yeah, no. Uh, well, and I think too. Also, we are of an age where, in our childhood, there wasn't a lot of gayness on TV. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, like there wasn't. There weren't, you know, there, there, Ellen hadn't come out on her sitcom, basically, Probably you know, not. to the point where there could be a gay character on a sitcom. I mean, I guess there was like, it was always very obliquely referenced to, but it wasn't like now where this, you know, you see gay teens on TV. Like there were no gay teens on TV when we were kids. There were no gay teens in my school. I mean, there were. But nobody was open, whereas now I bet in that same school, the town's a little bigger, but I bet you there's openly gay kids now. It's just, it was, it was a real turning point, I think, between, you know, I'm like somebody just the other day I heard on the radio talking about. Well, that theater, the old Annoyance Theater was the old drag club. It was. What was it? I don't even remember what it was called. I don't know. It, the next I, door was like the record place where Billy Corgan actually worked for a while. Oh, like right. A, like a small earwax or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was an old barn. It was literally an old livery stable. Uh That was what the original purpose of the building was, which meant it was very drafty and had rats everywhere. Yeah. Lots of rats. Lots the of building, moments where a rat would run over somebody's shoulder yeah, right before a show or the, like the, run down the stairs. The building was never meant to be very, you know, like lived in. It was meant for horses. And so right. – it just was draft. It was freezing cold and just all but kinds of great deck for the gay pride parade yeah. every year. Great had party. A rooftop. Yeah. Yeah. We had a rooftop that we hung out on. It was it was quite a playpen. 
It, it really was, was. And it was like a middle-class cult, too. Yeah, yeah. Because it was yeah. like people were serving sort of mixed wishes in well, a way. And in a transitional, to go back to the same sort of topic, there was, because for me, my my work was very much split between the Improv Olympic, mm-hmm. which was Del Close and Charna Halpern's kind of straight up long form, you know, had its roots in the Compass Players and Second City, you know, a very much establishment. And then a lot of this, it was very Chicago very, you know, Bulls jokes and Alderman jokes and things like that. And then I also worked at the Annoyance and the guys at the Improv Olympic literally would be like, why are you working over there with all those queers? You know, and it's like, eh, probably because there's all those queers because <laughs> they're hilarious and they're fantastic and it's really fun. And we're doing lots more drugs than you guys do. Um, that is true. There, there, was, was, there was a conflict and there was like, yeah. and there were like open like conflicts at parties and shit over that, you know, like fights and stuff. Well, there was petty rivalries, which are going to be inherent in any scene. Like yeah, yeah. Second City was seen as the devil for a long time when I grew up in comedy in Chicago. And then I was an annoyance guy and I sort of dropped out of Improv Olympics. So I was sort of just annoyance. And then I worked at Second City and then I was always a UCB guy at some point. Like, I, don't, I was always doing shows at UCB. So it's kind of like to see those rivalries and see how foolish they are. That's why I call the annoyance uh, the, the middle class cult. Because yeah. I think that was the last time I, like, wanted to make sure everybody was on board with what's ha- Do you know what I mean? Like, there were, like, these check-in meetings. And it was, like, managing people's personalities. And it got, like... I don't know if you remember some of those. Oh, no, it was. Yeah, no, definitely. There were people. People, someone said in a meeting, I'm not going to say a name, but someone said in a meeting, and this is someone who's being unfaithful to their wife, and they also think they're the greatest actor in the history of acting. And they said, there are things that happen in these four walls, because he was talking about secrets leaking like a paranoid person might. Things that happen in these four walls that I don't even tell my wife about. And it was like, you couldn't help but laugh. It was like, I could think of one thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also very heavy. Like, to my discredit, I don't think I, like, laughed out loud. Yes. I was like, oh, really? Do I have to sit through this? I was more like that. Like, really? Yep. Come on. And that, this is just this. That's is the middle to... class cult of it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you were there. You were in and out oh, of Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. And I always kind of was able to keep an arm's length on it because I think – uh, well, yeah, and there were definitely yeah, you were yeah, yeah. There were definitely people there who were in charge, and not just in charge like that. They were going to decide what show was on. They were going to decide like um, uh, how people were going to behave, yeah, anywho. and how they were going to feel about yeah. things. There was a lot of like little manipulation. It was very kind of interesting, but. I also remember. I'm also too. still friends with some of those people. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, but yeah, no. But there's, there was, uh, and I, yeah, there were, <laughs> they were manipulators that have become professional manipulators. <laughs> now they've, they've turned that skill into an industry. Um, uh, it's called directing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the, I also remember too, though there was like very dysfunctional group dynamics in the more sort of in improv Olympic in any group or the or offshoot groups. And I remember yeah. back at that time enjoying 
like they're big personalities that would throw fits and get offended and like smash glass tables at parties and stuff. And I just remember rubbing my hands together going, oh boy, it's fun to be all these crazy people bumping into each other. And then, you know, that's 22. And then by like 27, you're like, oh, fucking shit. Oh, these crazy people. I just, let's go to dinner. <laughs> let's just get out of here. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, it was pretty Pretty great. And when you're coming from kind well, of is a pretty. dull small town, it's like, wow, these are these are big people. And, I, and there was a subversive nature to it all. Like, I think you were in the scene and I was in the scene. I think, like, doing filthy musicals at the Annoyance yes. or doing UCB pranks. Like, yes. I feel like I was always imagining I was part of some cult, counterculture thing and trying to do something different. Although, yeah. you have to work through that. Yeah, and you have to realize like some of that's just youth, and you're just got a lot of anger. Yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah, know yeah. where to focus it yep. yet. Yeah, and some of it's valuable. Some of it is like you should challenge the status quo. You know, yeah. when you're an artist or a young artist, certainly I would think. Yeah, but uh, so it's interesting the places that that journey. I'm trying to be introspective for your show. It's interesting that yeah, I, mean, I shouldn't label hurt. it. Don't hurt. Can yourself. we cut that out? Can we cut that out? I want to cut that. Break anything. All right, take two. Oh. Andy, I love your shirt. <laughs> Is that <laughs> a good you. transition? Can Thank we use you. that? Can we patch that together? Well, I also think, I don't know how you were about that. I think, and I think one of the reasons I was able to stay at arm's length of it was, A, I'd already kind of had some therapy. Um, I had a pretty good relationship with my family. But I, it was de- there was definitely family dynamics going on with people who were in their early 20s, Trying to be validated, like, well, A, doing the thing of like, I'm going to get on stage in front of a room, uh, in a room full of people that's that's sitting in the dark and they're just going to be focused on me. That's already like, that's a big step up from regular life. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and it's a, and it's a very presumptuous thing. Like everyone should shut up and listen to me and to get, to get to a point where you feel like you're validated for that. And then also too, everyone's horny. There's so yeah, there a lot of there's so much promiscuity and just like yeah. people just like sort of a round robin well, tournament that of place, fucking, yeah. I was not in that scene. I was I was very there was the upstairs where there was yes. three ways and four ways and yes. five ways and that I'm like hear I'm about. square yeah, I'm yeah. square I'm like, oh yeah I never I'm gonna, as I've always said I like to disappoint people one at a time wink that's a good joke uh thank you it's it's an oldie is it i haven't i don't think you've used it around me well you probably just forget i've probably done it three times but i save it for every 10 years (laughs) i hope to be there 10 years from now when you use it again all right god willing want to make mom's day get to your nordstrom rack now and score amazing deals for mother's day which is sunday may 12th Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 
Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a grow? Now, when you're in high school, are you doing plays and are you thinking I might do this for a living? Or, or I think I was a more sheltered with my aspirations. Like, I think I didn't really... I was a funny kid and I was like a disruptive kid, unchanneled. Yeah. But I never, I did sports and I probably didn't think I could do theater yet. I wouldn't give myself permission to do it for whatever reason. I liked my friends and my friends were athletes. So I was sucked into sports. Yeah. But I did do this variety show, which my friends, my high school buddies still tease me about. Like, you're the hit of the right. Like, it's just the longest running joke. But- it was like a sort of a thing of like, oh, this is really fun. We wrote it. But of course, I didn't plan it. Like my friend Kevin said, you're doing – he literally said, you're doing the variety show. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm all right. And then he's like, now we have to write sketches. Like I didn't have any f- facility to think what we were stumbling into. But once we actually did the show and I could just act what we rehearsed, that was really fun. That's nice that you had somebody that just made you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like all those mistakes we make along the – the way are a microcosm of that. Like, yeah. like, oh, I should have just been like in the theater group in yeah. high school, but not should have in a regret way because I love sports and actually I have some of my best friends still from high school. So yeah. who, who knows why anything goes uh, anywhere. Do you, how does uh, being in a big family like that inform your identity with yourself as you're becoming an adult and getting out into the world? I was thinking the sense of duty I had to my family because our father, who art in heaven, good joke. And, well, I mean, I guess. Uh, he would have us pay money. So if I had a paper out and I was nine years old and I made $2 a week or I made $5 a week, I would give him half the money or all the money. And every fuck, sibling what the fuck? every sibling in the family had to do that. You had to pay to the house because that's the family. That's fucked up. I did not. I actually liked it. I don't do that to my kids. Why would you? I'll tell you why. Because there's an agri- large families traditionally. I get, yeah, I guess you're not listening. A, you're not listening oh, okay, to this. Right, I'm from right. a large family. I just got there before you could actually get it out of your all mouth. Right. I know say what you're it. Say. What's the answer? Say it. Say exactly what I was going to say, Andy Richter. Because he was coming from a space of depression era where the family was a unit and it was a it, life was a lot tougher and it was. Harder to, you know, life was not as comfortable. You had to get out and work and you had to make money and you had to bring it home to the family because everybody was poor, right? Yeah, and he came from one of the 11 or 12. Like his family was even bigger. So he owned that perspective of the world. He came by it honestly and he stayed very close with his siblings through life. Yeah. So that structure was passed on to us in a way. And I didn't mind, like, what does money mean anyways? Like, we had everything we needed. We had great Christmases. We got tons of toys. Yeah. When we as much as we needed, certainly. We got suits when we graduated. We yeah, got, yeah. like, but the, I liked the, com- I was so on board with that right away. And that, to me, is a good thing about being in a large family. And so how does that apply? I guess, what was the question? I don't know. What was how, the I mean, how did you feel? How did how did being in a large family shape your relationship with the world when you're coming out and 
and becoming an individual and an adult and, you know. I guess in some ways, I guess, like, I'm part of this, like, collaborative UCB thing that's lived on. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like serving a collective is partially in me. Yeah. In a way, like, a band, I'm a good band member. Uh-huh. You know, so I play well with others. Are you comfortable inherently. standing out? Are you comfortable with I'm, solo stuff? I challenge myself to do it, but of course I'm not comfortable with it. Yeah. But I have, like, gotten better at challenging my – because ultimately, like, I am lazy about it. I do – I just have to ride through that anxiety before you get on stage because it, it's – I find it very nerve-wracking. When you're to be, solo. To be solo. Yeah, I yeah, really I do. I, I feel like, like it. there's no place to hide, and I'm very conscious of that. So I'm – but once I push through the nervousness of that, it's always generally very fine. I, well, but, I, I know – yeah, and I mean – uh, and I'm sure that you're funny, and I've done things on stage by myself. Oh, I'm funny. And I, oh, I know you're funny. Uh, I gotta find something funny. Go ahead. What do you? I just want to prove I'm funny somehow. Look at a mirror app on that phone. Oh, oh damn! That, it's that is muggy that the years. ten year joke? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it used to be you just a mirror, that not one. a mirror app. You can bear that. Bury um, that one. No, I, I, uh, I. I do. I've done solo stuff too, and I can be funny. But like that to me is not the point. Again, it's like my experience on it. I end up. I end up doing it, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. It's not that. Yeah, every everyone else had a good time, and it was fine and everything. But that's like a symptom of my anhedonia anyway, which is my inability to enjoy things. Uh, working on it, you know. Um, anhedonia. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I'm gonna look that up. But. Uh, but it it is like that. What I want to do is be on stage with people that are funny and enjoy that thing. Because back in the day, too, when we were doing improv shows and something would get canceled because of whatever, weather or whatever, we weren't doing a show, we'd all be together anyway. And I'd still get to be funny with funny people, mm-hmm. you know, and that was like the important thing, mm-hmm. I think. So, mm-hmm. you know. Well, there's also great satisfaction in having like full artistic expression in like directing a small movie like yeah, I've done sure. that a couple times you and have, I love yeah. that and uh or doing you know doing a bit solo at charity events which I'm sure you've done a million times mm-hmm. like those are fun actually I yep. like solo performing and I also like the ease of it that you're not it's not compromising your idea but you're just not pitching anything you're just like all right what do I want to do okay yeah it's so efficient right right and sometimes when you're in like a room of like there's a chain of command or there's like uh, ideas or it's not your job like if you're an actor and you have a funny idea you don't really contribute it yeah unless you're on a set where they do sort of let you write or they do let you contribute sure which is great which is like the perfect spot yeah you know so yeah yeah it's good to kind of like i've been on things where i kind of just i decide at the beginning of it like I'm going to sort of rewrite my lines like mm-hmm. as I go. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to wait to see if they stop me or not. <laughs> you know, and sometimes they'll be like, hey, could you read it as it is on the page? And then I'm like, oh, farts. <laughs> oh darn it. Um, and then other times they're just like, okay, you know, that, yeah, that's good. Whatever. And, uh, and man, it feels great. <laughs> it just feels like, especially when I've, I've, like I can think of one, I was on a movie that was on location and it was not a great movie anyway. And I just said, I mean, I, every line I said, serve the purpose of whatever it needed to serve in this scene. But I just would 
tailor it to what felt better and more natural coming out of my mouth. And I could tell other people in the movie were starting to be like, how come he gets to, you know, and I, and I'd hear them say that. And I would never say, I'd just be like, I would, didn't, I never addressed it. I was just like, I'm just going to keep saying what I want. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You could try, I guess, but I'm just going to keep doing this. (laughs) Um, Well, I've been on movies where, there was an agreement to sort of uh, direct it between three or four people and not the director. Oh, wow. I've been on a couple of those movies. Wow. One was like an action, action-y movie. Right. And Die was, Hard. Yeah, Die Hard 1. I was, okay. Yeah. I remember. I had only a four-second line. but Your South African <laughs> accent was unbelievable. So it was kind of like after takes, the director just didn't have the aptitude to understand what what you were doing. Emotional presence was, and so we would check in with each other. And they were the other people were good. They were very good actors, and I was game for that. I'm like, yeah, good, love it. But it wasn't like <laughs> pirate, but it was definitely pirate. Yeah, like it's yeah. like he's not dialed into anything. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, I like that. Okay, whatever. And that's sort of, and then there was another one that I did, and it was m- more blatant. At some point, it was just like there would be one take for the director, and then we would just start, uh, actors would turn to us and ask us what they should do better in the next scene. And then it just became apparent. That was like day one. Yeah. And then it just slowly grew into us directing that's got to be exciting but though feels very like, naughty yeah well it, it's it's managing people though because unfortunately like i'll make it quick this is like a tangent out of no, anyone's feelings to be hurt but like ultimately the person who was supposed to be the director wouldn't have done it well yeah excuse me sorry i just burped I it wasn't cr- really i thought burp. you were crying like a, no because you were offending the power structure gurgle. oh offended yeah so we had to sort of uh Take take the reins yeah. and then finish it ourselves, basically, because there's various things. Is every step of the way, um, we had to be involved. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't like yes, like had we started the movie mm-hmm. and we knew that, but it was kind of like once we got over there, it was like, all right. Well, and also too, I think you start out with a very kind of doctrinaire feeling of like, um, you know, it, the. You know, the theater school version is you're the slave to the text. Like, it's not about you. You're supposed to, all your choices are supposed to be ultimately about with upholding the text. Whatever the play is, you're, you're, it's not about you being noticed in the play. It's about you not being noticed in the play and about the play being noticed. And the improv version of that is was always uh, the, the rule of there's no one person that's more important than the group as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, which is which I both of those I believe in very much so. But then time goes on and it becomes your job and you, you get some miles under your belt. And it's like, ugh, look, I'm just going to you got to trust me. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I, the, one of the best things I ever saw. And it was, uh, you know, on dopey comedy. But uh, Terrence Stamp was in. I was in a comedy with Terrence Stamp and I didn't have too many scenes with him, but I did get to watch him be in one. 
And it was a car pulls up and everybody gets out and runs to a point and then says some lines. And Terrence, I don't know, I even know what the business was, but they would do it. And then the, they did the first take. And then the director came out and explained to Terrence, I'd, I'd rather you do it this way. And Terrence would go, oh, yes, I see. I see. I see. Right, right, right. Of course, of course. And then they'd get back in the car and pull up again. And Terrence Stamp would come out and do exactly what Terrence Stamp wanted to do. And the director would come out again and try and explain what he wanted Terrence Stamp to do. And I should say, Terrence Stamp was doing just fine. Terrence Stamp being Terrence Stamp is really great. And But this happened like four times. And every time Terrence Stamp went, oh, right, I get it now. Sure, I understand. And just agreed this guy into submission. Until and I and the director I saw is him, that the move because maybe I need to start doing on that. the I definitely have used it I definitely have stolen it have lifted it just l- start living in it just going like oh I it's great, almost I like see, playing dumb I see, isn't yeah, it like I see what you mean and then just be like here you do go. whatever you want here's the same fucking thing again it's also like when they want they give you something that will you will right. just die if, if you I have do this, to see yourself yeah. in this movie and this heaven forbid it becomes popular and you have to see yourself making this terrible choice. Uh, you know, on screen. And so you go, okay, and do it because if it's the same, they'll say like, whenever they say, you say, I don't want to do it that way. And they go, okay, do it your way first. And then we'll do the last one. We'll do the way we want you to do, you know, like, oh, you're that's just the gonna, one they yeah, want. That's the one they're going to fucking do. But I just remember like at the final scene, looking at the director, the final take of this, Terrence Stamp comes out, does it again. And like I say, a, it's not, you know, the fucking Godfather. It's fine. It's and and it's good. Let him do what he he's fucking Terrence Stamp. And I just saw the director like at a monitor and just like his shoulders fall and takes off the headphones. Like, all right, we got it. Moving on. Yeah, that was great, Terrence. Good job. But I just was like, oh, it was thrilling to me because it's like, yeah, I love it. that. Yeah, lesson. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I'm more, a, more probably too coachable as a as an actor. I, well, once I'm in that role, if I didn't like have anything to do with the writing of it, and somebody's like, I'll always end up giving them that. If they say, okay, just do it this way, like I I have my instincts and I always act my instincts. Yeah, yeah. But if somebody says, could you do it this one way? Right. I'll find a way to see that as reasonable. That's I, I, I don't do think that. that's wrong. I don't think that's well, wrong. But do, have you I'd done things? I'd rather be Terrence that, Stamp. Part have, of me is but like, But have you fuck done things yeah. that you're like, see, I won't do anything that I'm super embarrassed No, I by. won't. I wouldn't either. I'll do a, I'll kind of split the difference, you know? And I mean, one of the main, I, I've learned this as time goes. I, I mean, one thing I want to say is that, A, you, you start in this, you start being an actor, you start working, and then you get on something where the director's terrible, what the fuck are you going to do? You're going to do what you're told by somebody that's terrible and you know, no, this guy's wrong. Um, there's, I mean, there's that. And then there also, too, is uh, one of the main skills of show business, and I noticed this when I started developing television shows, and, and it's what being kind of a television writer is, is getting a note because, A, the business is absolutely populated by people who have to come up with something to say about your project because otherwise they'll say like, why are you here? If you're just going to go, I trust this artist we hired, you know, they got to have notes for your, for whatever it is. And there's six or seven of them. So you got to have like, you got to get notes from six or seven fucking dumb dumbs. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe two of them are not dumb dumbs. Mm-hmm. And your job is to 
not address their notes, but make them believe you address their notes. That mm-hmm. is like that. I feel like that was one of the main skills that I tried to learn and tried to like adapt to was like, yes, you're right. In order to p- appeal to women, we should do this. And then just be like, see, we did it. And, it, you know, and it's, it's just, it's a kind of manipulation, you know, it's a kind of, it's kind of getting something out of, you know, telling somebody what they want before they even want it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause you're, this is so boring, but you're we're, you're making art inside of uh, a corporation, essentially Absolutely. a distribution Absolutely. model corporation, and their model is to watch the budget and to administer things that don't get them. I don't know. Uh, it's lawsuits or problematic reactions with the public. Yeah, I guess, and then that has nothing to do with making something funny, right? Nothing to do with making something like good and real and right. relatable. Right. Nothing to do with it. And then that's or why. Or if it's a series, something that will live on, that will these, like, sp- inspire more episodes of this world. And what you learn is these people who are the corporation people, when you give them good faith gestures or when your manager says, just do it. Because then when they want to pick it up, they'll remember your low ma- Like Good faith gestures oh, don't never, ever give them good ever, faith Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> You never, I have been told. Because they don't come back to you. It's like, we did the thing. And then you said, go to the thing. And I did that too. And yeah, they don't like the show. They were never going to pick it up or whatever it is. Whatever the thing is, it's like, you can't, um, that's what you learn. Yeah. And I'm so, uh, I've sort of learned that, but it it took me too long to learn that. Whenever anybody says, you know, do me a favor, I won't forget this. And it's a powerful person. And I've had this, that explicitly said to me, yeah. do this, be, you know, I know you don't want to do this. I know this is a little bit above and beyond. And it's usually things like promotion or showing up somewhere or, yeah. you know, doing a reshoot when the star of the movie won't do a reshoot. So they have to patch it together somehow with you. I mean, as a tertiary character, as a, you know, um, and it's always been like, I'm not going to forget this. And so, you know, when I first heard, I'm like, oh, okay, this person that's a powerful person in show business is going to remember it and I'm going to get a better, a bigger part. F- cut to the sound of wind, you know, <laughs> and the visual tumbleweed. tumbling tumbleweeds. Nope. <laughs> yeah, and me as a skeleton waiting for him to not forget, you know. Well, that's what like smarter people than me uh Tell, tell, you know, people who are successful, who we all have friends, super successful. Yeah, yeah. Are, I've had conversations and they're all like, yeah, you don't know. You push back on that stuff. You don't, yeah, yeah. You don't do that. And then you're do like, you, oh yeah. Do you, do you think of yourself as successful? I am successful. Yes. Okay. I'm knocking on wood. If the well, that's listener, different. That's a different, whether you are or not, do you think of yourself as successful? Yes. You do? Yes. And, and did it take a long time for that? Was there a point at which that happened? I think incrementally... As a single man and making my living as a comedian, whether it was starting to tour with Second City or booking my first commercial, that was successful. Like that was the edge of success for me because it was what I loved doing and I was earning a, li- a wage and it was like turning into a possible career. Mm-hmm. So that success, I felt early, honestly. Right. Very fortunate. Like I know you're grateful too. Like very fortunate to have, oh my God, I can make a living doing this? Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. This is success. Yeah. <laughs> so I've I've owned a lot of that. And as through the years, you know, some years are not as successful as other years in terms of like 
jobs. Yeah. But in general, the general arc of my history, I do feel successful and I do feel fortunate. And, uh, and I think you, I, I try to have like good habits. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I try to. Do, do en- you've been nominated for an Emmy twice. Does that help? Thank you for knowing that. I do know Thank that. you for knowing that. I've, I mean, no, that's like one that like I, you know. The, the, you must the, have been nominated for this show or the, not this show, but that show. Yeah, for yeah. writing. Yeah. Only for yeah. writing. We've yeah. been nominated for writing. And they won once after I left. Coincidence? <laughs> I think not. Um, They're always bringing that trophy by <laughs> yeah, to show yeah, yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it hangs it hangs at eye level on a string outside my office, and I have to like avoid getting my eye poked by it. Um, no, just for writing, you know. That's we've well, always whatever, that's right. Yeah. Oh no, it's yeah, yeah. I mean it's but it's it's like I don't even know that we ever got nominated for best talk show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is just whatever. it's a weird it's it's the fucking award shit is so crazy and so weird because like like I've always said it's like. Such a chance for rejection junkies because we are in this business, which is just mostly rejection. Mm-hmm. And and we fucking dive into it. And most of us have problems with rejection. Mm-hmm. Like it's an issue. Like I don't like being rejected. Nobody does. But some of us, it hurts a lot more than others. And they fucking dwell on it and it eats away at them. And so they go into a business where 80% of their life <laughs> is being told, no, you're not good enough. No, I don't like you. Yeah. So they get successful. They get rich. And they go to a fu- they dress up and go to a night when they get to feel bad about themselves again, where one out of every eight gets to feel bad about themselves again, or it's or, say seven out of eight gets to feel bad about themselves that they're not good enough and that somebody's better than them, and that's fucking crazy. Well, that is to what me. is at the end of that night. You, yeah, I, I, like you said, I was nominated twice, and it is so fun and. Uh, attention and it's a real it's a notch in your belt it's like a resume Absolutely. check you know it's in the biz it's affirmation yeah. of, and recognition in a by world your where there's yes by your peers yeah. yeah winning a sag award is incredibly yeah. fun too like that one that one really meant uh something for whatever so but at the end of it it is i i always i always went in the two times i was nominated i always went in like healthy like I'm so lucky. I know I'm not going to win because so-and-so is probably going to win right, for, for right. real. But And then, the, oh, I'm going to a gifting suite. This is sweet because I need things for my get golf outing. Shit. Well, yeah, I get yeah. free shits. I'm not totally, but some of it goes to the family. Yeah. And then it's the moment before, and I'm like, all right, well, let's do – oh, we do the red carpet, and it's hot. And then you sit down, but you see people, but you're in a tuxedo, which is not fun Mm-mm. ever. And then uh, all of a sudden there's a camera next to you, and it's your category, and you're like – Oh, fuck. I care about this now. Yeah. Oh, this is going to hurt. Fuck. I want to win. I don't. And then, and then it goes to, I don't even know what I would say. Like, honestly. Oh, you didn't plan? No. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. Don't win. Then I go to that. This is very revealing. This is my journey. Wow. Don't win. Oh God. Don't win. This is the first year. And then the second year, similarly, I was a little more prepared. Higher on cocaine this year, probably because you could afford more more cocaine. I was doing mushroom buttons the whole night. <laughs> they were chocolate mushroom buttons, and I did about. <laughs> wow. I wish you had won just for that. <laughs> I want to thank a baby. <laughs> um, no, but anyway, continue. I'm sorry. Hello, 5,000 seats. <laughs> <laughs> Why is no one here? Yeah. 
Uh, and this, I don't know, the second year, still that moment of like, once the camera's on you for that category, you really want to win. Like, yeah. Come on. Like, yeah. That's why you're there. And you can't avoid, there's no world where you can't care about that. So that's what's, and then on the other side of that is like, I think the first year, I didn't think it would bum me out. And it did. And then the second year, I knew it would bum me out, so I was better prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. And so the second year, I had a better time at, like, the party afterwards. Yeah. You know, where, where your friends win in Veep 1 or whatever. Yeah, or yeah. Or we didn't. I don't even remember who what, what years we won. Probably Veep 1. Well, yeah, it helps to be able to feel good for other people that you're there with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But also, you get... You get your, uh, I guess it's ego. You get sideswiped by that, like, sort of, like, sure. self-importance and your ego. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I was going to say, because it was I was always nominated as a group, but then it just occurred to me. I did get nominated for doing voiceover work uh, for cartoon voices, for doing Mort in Madagascar. Nice. And that one I did actually, I didn't go, because I think it was in New York City, and I just, uh, you know. And but and Kelsey Grammer won, um, and the I think I don't remember the name of the character that Kelsey Grammer played, uh, but it was uh, Kelsey Grammer, and so I still am fucking annoyed. You know, I still am like because I was playing Mort in Madagascar, which is which I had been playing through various permutations, and enough to know like you, know, it's, it's <laughs> you just, gotta let this go. Andy. I know, I know, but it is like well, it is the it's the weird little niche things that you get. I've been yeah. playing this fucking character, and then a guy and then, comes and, in and as they, himself and yeah. wins it. And I have been doing this character, this character as a pervert, this character as a, you know, a, a projectile, this character as lovelorn, this character as sad, this character as a maniac, this character as a, you know, and it's like, yeah, I've been doing this a long time and I do it well and, oh, well, whatever. Well, I lost to Alec Baldwin one year who's doing Donald Trump oh and he's not even God. a cast member, Oh, but that, whatever, that was in the, that was going to happen. Mm. And then the other that one was would, yeah, uh, Louis Anderson playing a woman on Zach's show. Yeah, but okay. Apparently that, she's yeah, yeah. he's great as I never seen the show, but he, he's great. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that's fine too. On fucking and that was probably yeah. like odds-on favorite coming out of the gate that year. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. So it's like all right. I remember one year we lost to Eddie an Eddie Izzard stand-up special mm -hmm. for writing, and I was just like. Okay, a well, I'm not going to be petty, yeah. but it, there is a difference between it's a stand-up special, one dude working on jokes for a year, and then we do this shit every day. You know, like it's like somebody that cooked one meal versus a restaurant that serves thousands and thousands of people yeah. a night. You're not going to get any That was annoying. Well, that was annoying. You know. Yeah. But anyway, that's respect, the yeah. point of this is is how crazy these awards are. And the reason that I brought it up in the first place was that you getting nominated mattered to me. You getting nominated oh. felt like the universe is doing something right because you they can watch- finally got it right. Yeah, you can watch these. And I've always been struck by that. You watch these shows, they reward- mediocrity they reward just some sort of fashionable bullshit that happens to be happening and you're like these awards are bullshit and then they give one to you and it's like guy's great okay now this there it makes sense now and i always <laughs> wonder like <laughs> like well, why does it matter when it's somebody you when you agree with it and it doesn't matter when you don't agree with it and i just have never really you know can't you know made any sort of 
advance well, on figuring funny. that out, you know? Yeah. It is, it is. And, you know, everybody's entitled to their fucking taste, too. Yeah. So it's like uh, when, you know, there were a lot of people, you know, we get to submit one episode. Eddie Izzard gets to su- submit his stand-up special. Oh. And the people here's, watch it and they're like, I really enjoyed here's what Eddie I say Izzard to that. Here's what than, I say you know, to that, which is I ultimately know – or I academically know that like Kelsey Grammer won eight Emmys as Frasier. Yeah. But I also know that people remember like the audience or the people that you want to like you just remember like, oh, he's funny. Yeah. Like that's all that ever matters in in comedy at least. Yeah. Like I don't know how many Emmys Will Ferrell won, but he's funny. Like that's all you remember. And that, I took some solace in that. Like I'm sure people love you because you're funny. Like that's it. Yeah. The award isn't as important. It might, it might, maybe it bumps up pay a little bit. I don't know if oh, you it have like, does. 10, it not always, does. not always really? though. I don't think necessarily. Cause there's obviously a lot of Emmys out there. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. there's a lot of writers with Emmys, a lot of actors with Emmys nominations. There's even more people with nominations. So you want to hear something fucking, <laughs> you want to, you want to hear evil? Want to hear Are a we bu- going to fuck some shit up? No. Want to hear a bummer? Oh, uh, a little, a little no, bit of a, no. just like, okay, then no. I will tell you. you Can sure? you tell me off? Yeah. It's not no. It's just it's a bummer. It's just, it's just something. It's just <laughs> oh, something that happened. For not wanting it's just to- something that happened last week. I have an aunt and uncle in assisted living, right, and they need to find a different assisted living facility. My aunt's in a memory care, so I'm looking at places that are memory care, which is for you know Alzheimer's dementia patients. Okay, people losing their mind. Uh, yeah, and and I'm so I'm check. I go check them out before I drag them to see it. You know, because it's I'm a lot more portable than they are. And I'm I'm at one of them, and uh, I mean, there's just people just kind of sitting in a day room staring. And the woman that's kind of the, like, real estate agent showing me the place, she pauses in front of a person as if she's like an interactive display and goes, three-time Emmy winner. <laughs> at a woman Sorry staring into space. <laughs> Sorry just for Just staring laughing. into space. <laughs> I was like, that's oh, so horrible to be holy in. Holy fuck. Why that? did you do it? And I don't know if the woman had any idea that I worked in television or anything. That's the funniest bummer I ever heard. Oh, three time. <laughs> and she's a, a veritable husk. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're all headed there. But that's anyway. the also the power of celebrity. I guess. It is. Like yep. every uh, star effort. They'll be saying that over your corpse. Yeah. Three-time Emmy winner. Yeah. It is funny. I have, like, my brother who asked my other brother, Pat, like, what's Matt doing next? Like, it's kind of like even in the family. Oh, really? And Pat's like, I don't know. Ask him yourself. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, the entertainment business is fascinating to everyone. Yeah. And and people in it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. It it is the power of, like— It is and it isn't, because it's like I've always had friends— Like, I've had friends— in the business and another friend will ask me, do you know what that person is doing, working on right now? And I'll be like, no. And they're like, well, do you, do you keep, like, yeah, we talk all the time, but I don't no, know what they're working I mean, on, you know? Uh, I mean, like all the other attributes that come with that. Like, obviously you walk into your studio every day and yeah. like, you said this a million times, like people in Batman costumes going to sets or yeah, army yeah, men. Yeah. Like entertainment is inherently the most in- interesting profession. It I is. Think. It is pretty exciting. It, it just is like you're, you're fortunate enough to like 
meet interesting people and like hear great music. Your job, you get to hear great music on a regular basis. Not so much anymore. We don't have have bands anymore. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. we change. But yeah, but no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And to the point where it it gets like you become deadened to it, you know. Right. There are times because there were plenty of times, you know, I, and also it's just sort of like me. And like I said, my anhedonia, but there would be (laughs) like Conan, when we did have bands, he'd be like, welcome back to the show for the third time. Band Andy has no recollection of. (laughs) And I would just be like, oh, God damn it. I need to fucking be a little more present in my life. Pretty soon somebody's going to be saying Emmy winner. Over my tub of guts sitting in a corner looking at daytime television. Emmy nominee for vocal ensemble member in an animation. For best animated performance. Kelsey Grammer won, though. Two-time supporting actor nominee. He played a mouse or something. Louis Anderson beat him one year. And then the next year, Alec Baldwin's Trump took it. It was kind of a long shot. You know, he wasn't a cast member. Anyways. And by the way, there is bingo, but only four people can sit long enough for bingo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a grow? Well, now... You, I mean, honestly, Emmys, Schmemmys, you are one of the founding members of the UCB, which to me is the most vital comedy school in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I mean, beyond, and that's, the, that's another thing that like having known the four of you, I knew you and Matt Besser much better. And then I got to know Amy pretty well when she and Besser were dating. And then when we lived in New York at the same time, but, and Ian, I didn't really know well, if even Ian is really knowable. Uh, <laughs> but, he's uh, knowable. He's knowable. But uh, no, I know I'm kidding. Know. Um, but wow, you guys, you know, you started a comedy troupe and just kind of along the way, you also decided like, Let's start a college. Yeah. And how did that happen? I mean, why was that in your mind that that would happen? Does it, you know, did you all think beyond? Because it's such an expansive way to think. It's like it's a real belief not only in yourselves as show business entities and the ability, you know, and producers of a television show, but yourselves as tastemakers and educators and believing in a particular kind of ethos of comedy. Hmm. I mean, did, were you aware of that, or did it just kind of? Am I, get, I just blowing smoke up your ass, and uh, what's this going to get me? I guess my mind goes to uh, having a theater in Manhattan 
allowed us to continue in a very simple way. So there was no plan, but, and then also like in the way that I had a, a Besser was like, he went out and found a theater. Like that's another, like he, I think Amy said in her book, he is like the, the driving force mm-hmm. for most of the UCB, like putting roots down. Like he was, yeah. he walked around Manhattan and found an old strip club and then, Next thing you know, we're all knocking out mirrors and cutting the strip club runway in half, which was... And you're you're living above it. And I lived not right away, not right away, but yes, I eventually lived on the third floor and then the fourth floor. Yeah. Uh, And then, but but also living above the bakery, like seeing people like every day, that was a crazy part part of my life. So, but it wasn't a decision in terms of like, uh, we're going to have a lasting uh, legacy of like, curriculum and performer attraction in the way that like second city attracted people. I feel like very good about what we've created and I, and I would recommend anyone study with us. Like I do think we have the best talent coming up and I do think we teach the best like improv and comedy. Like, Without question. Yeah. 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 So I'm very proud of that. But the, the simple answer is we started because uh, the theater started because we had so many people we'd already taught uh, and we were doing that to like keep uh, afloat in New York and make short films and try to get a TV show. And then we, lo and behold, we stumbled into like four or five really talented collectives that included like Andy Daly yeah. and Rob Riggle and Owen Burke. And I think Will Arnett was running around in the yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't Rob, really performing. Rob Corddry. Corddry yeah, yeah. and Bowie and Rob Hubel and Aziz. Secunda and, and Aziz yeah. came around. Chad Carter. And, yeah. Uh, and then also all you guys were kind of folded into us because we were fortunate enough to have friends like you who I'm sure I crashed on your floor a million times and partied with you and Sarah on your roof. Yeah. And you were such a kind and generous person or because you were working and I think I was landing in New York. So you had already put down roots and yeah. such. And so you were always very good to us. And, and Conan, too, when we got when you were working, you would you guys would check out our show and guys like McCann would play with us and you would play with us and. So we had great, uh, and McKay came down from us, and also we had great network to uh, associate with. And so once we were like doing this thing that, like, oh yeah, there's like this open gym, um, then you, you guys, as well as the new guys, I guess, yeah. started just taking it over. Not taking it over, but it grew that way. It's crazy too that there was nothing in fucking New York City. Well, I felt like Marco Polo bringing silk back from the Orient or whatever. That's a little grandiose. I'm sorry. No, no. All right. Whatever. I mean, come on. You've earned it. In some ways, no. just in dumb luck. Just in dumb luck. Not like I'm Marco Polo or that we are Marco Polo. More like, how did this never, how did long form never take a a true hold in New York? That's what I mean. The marketplace was completely devoid of what we were good at, what we had all learned in Chicago. Right. But New York just never, I guess because theater is financially difficult to set up in New York and it's it's a harder go. Is that what it was? I'm guessing. That's my yeah. gut well, answer. Well, and I think, I also just think there just wasn't maybe like a history of it. There wasn't like a real, it didn't seem to be a history of sketch comedy. No, there was stand up yeah. and there was theater. Yeah. And because, like, I remember when the Conan show first started, when I first you know, I was going to be on David Letterman's replacement show on NBC. And this is before I even knew I was going to be the sidekick. And we started shooting bits and I was just a writer producing my own bits. And I was like, 
it, it was the first situation where I was ever had any say in casting. And so I'd say, I have a bit where I need an old man. Well, that was the huge part yeah. too. We and were they, literally paying our rent when we landed in New York. I like, I like drove out with Horatio. I feel like I've told it. I'm never going to tell UCB early day story again. All right. Well, you don't have to. But basically I sold my van and then luckily we got people like you were, you were putting us on Conan and those were like great gigs. Yeah. And uh, that paid the rent for a long time. Yeah. A few hundred bucks. And you can make that go a long way. A few hundred bucks. Absolutely. And in New York, yeah, yeah, whatever the the after rate was, you know, you make a good, especially if you get a line, come on. Well, the reason that that happened, A, was... uh, when we started casting these bits and I'd think like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to see big time, good, talented people to, you know, flesh out this sketch. They sucked. They were so fucking unfunny. It was like (laughs) unfunny read after unfunny read after unfunny read. And I just was like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? And then you guys show up and it's like, and you know, it was, yeah, it was me and maybe stack Brian stack. Maybe was at the show at the time saying, Oh, there's a there's a sketch with this kind of guy. I know that I know that guy, Matt Walsh. Bring him in, and then you'd come in, and the the fact that we would have a sketch that was X amount of funny, we were always hoping at that before you guys came that we that we would at least get like eighty percent of X out of whatever actor we hired. You guys would give us one hundred and twenty percent of X. You guys would like you know you guys would give us above and beyond. You guys would show us ways that our script was funny that we didn't know was funny and holy shit. And then, and it really was amazing. And it was, it did coincide with that same thing where you were getting people like Andy Daly and like, you know, Rob. Well, Cecilia was our casting lady for our sketch show. And she ended up working with you guys. Yeah. 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 But I mean, but those guys came to you because it's like, Oh, well here's this, this is, you know, it was like you sent out like as some kind of secret signal to, People that are funny in the way that, you know, we're yeah, funny. Yeah, and it was like, it was like, uh, for whatever reason, it was sort of a scene built that I never felt like I had to define. I was happy to open the shop and let people take it over. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? I don't bl- yeah, no, I know exactly what you and mean. And so, like, get after it. Like, I can teach. I don't teach anymore. I don't teach improv anymore. But, uh, and I love performing improv. Like, I'll do that you know, hopefully for many more years. That's, it's one of my greatest joys still. Like I, that's yeah. how I kick up my heels. I have a couple beers and do an improv show. Do you really still, yeah. you still like it? Uh, if I have a couple beers, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. What do you, I mean, is it just, is it just fun? Is there something, because I don't, I don't I enjoy, enjoy the that part, much anymore. I enjoy the part beforehand where you talk to the audience and you sort of find out a little bit about them. And then I enjoy, that's all I'm able to, I'm able not every night. Like, I do it much less, but I still enjoy it. That's the long answer. One thing, because you and you guys got so much practice at that pre-show sort of conversation. Yeah. And I always love it. He's dropping on it. And you guys got, and I just want to, for people that haven't seen a live, a live ASCAD or a live long form improv show, I always loved that you guys would ask questions. And one of the questions you came upon was, how many people in here have ridden an elephant? Yeah. And there was always a few people that had ridden an elephant yeah. because it's just like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. There's you know, like five or six people. And then the best question that you guys started to ask, and I was I did many, many shows with you guys, and there was never anyone in the audience that didn't raise their hand to the question. No, you say it. I'll just agree with you. 
Who here has been hit on by Andy Dick? Yes, that's true. Every inevitably there'd be two show. or three people in Los Angeles Franklin Street uh, audience that would raise their hand, and then we would make them tell their story to uh, to make yes. to verify, and they all had legit sounding stories. They, did you ever? Was anyone ever hit on by Andy Dick while riding an elephant? That uh, <laughs> there was someone who got hit on while uh, in the ocean, like somebody I, was. This on is a, my yeah, favorite yeah. one. And then some, yeah, somebody popped up, Andy Dick popped up to a guy on a surfboard, I think. And it's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like you saw the him Pacific on the Ocean. shore yeah. and then coming towards him and then comes up like, oh, it's Andy Dick. Oh, and he's hitting on me. Or he came out of a, at some like rock and roll uh, concert, like Bonnaroo. He was waiting in line for the porta potty and the door, the guy who was in there walks out and goes, it was Andy Dick just peeing. He's like, hey, you're cute. <laughs> like just, he's walking past him. Like he can't, he has. Uh, well, yeah, I guess, you know, you cast a wide net. You catch one well, fish. Yeah, there's more problems there, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Underneath that. I don't know. <laughs> I hope we can use that. <laughs> uh, whatever. Yeah. I don't have a problem if you cut it out, but your, yeah. your choice. I didn't. Maybe just not the part about the being in the. <laughs> like you know that was yeah but please you know cut out anything that you think doesn't yeah. make me look like a genius <laughs> oh that's gonna be a uh -oh. lot wow oh hey Short what show. happened to my two minute <laughs> i was two minutes but i felt like we spent hours uh, you sounded smart yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been blabbing a while. I got to get to. Uh, well, I want to talk about. You're a family man. You got you got a fair amount of kids yourself. Yeah, we have three. Three kids. Beautiful, yeah. wonderful kids. Yeah, yeah. Also, success. That's a good one. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know that. Yeah, yeah they're very healthy and happy. Jude's going to be a seventh grader. Emmett's in fifth, and uh, CC's in second. Yeah, eight, ten, twelve. And it's they're great. Yeah, it's pretty great having kids. It's a lot of work. It's it is. The it's a lot work of work. There is. Yeah. Making people is really, you know, you got to give a lot of leeway to people making people. It's, you know. Supervision. It's, it's as tough as it is, uh, as a thing there is to do. Yeah. There's um, more supervision required than you think when you raise kids. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, at times, it's especially when they're little, it's so fucking dull. So I like it when they're little. I love really? it when they're little because I would always just hold them and like make a pie with a baby in my arm. Like I love yeah, yeah. that. I love well, how portable yeah. they are. Like yeah. sit on the speaker while daddy like whatever I, eats this pizza. See, <laughs> mine are 19 and 14 and it's pretty great. It, it, it's pretty great getting to be where they're like getting to be these creatures you don't have any control over and who are just out in the world on their own doing about things. That, but that's it's, inevitable. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing, but it, it is. is a very complicated thing. And it's yeah. a very, there's the things that, you know, when you worry about a kid when they're little and you're worrying about them running into the street, that's like, you know, the, yeah, that's a legitimate fear. And you build your life around like making sure they're not going to. And then, you know, as they get out and they start to be teens and they go out in the world and you're kind of worried, you just have to trust and think. But man, when they're, you just, you have these worries about like, what if, and, and, uh, you know, and should this happen? And there's nothing you can do about it because you just got to trust in the past that what you've done. And, but, and while at the same time, it's kind of terrifying and, and unpleasant, it's also sort of like beautiful in a way that like, yeah, no, this is what it's about. This oh, is like, course. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also kind of getting I your life, family. getting your life back. Family. Getting yeah. your life back a little bit is kind of, you know, 
I wouldn't uh, a few years ago. I wouldn't have said that that was that that was a feature of it. But, but it fun. is a feature of it. No, you know? I think you should enjoy. It. I think you're supposed to enjoy yeah, that yeah. too. Because like, whatever. Yeah. You did your tour of duty, and you know yeah. you're like you're still engaged in their lives, and you love the shit out of them. And of course, they don't want to see you as much as you want to see them. Right, so right. you better get busy with a hobby or something. Yeah. 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 Oh, but yeah, yeah. No, yeah. There, there's yeah. Like, what am I gonna do with myself? You got to fucking figure that out. Yeah. Uh, what, are you gonna, what are you going to uh, – the second question, where are you going in this thing? W- what are you going to do with yourself in the future? What are, what plans do you have? Uh, or desire – you know, like things that – you know, goals, things you think you should be doing. There's the immediate future, which is that golf outing I do every year. Yeah. That's the charity thing. That's like uh, hilariously a wedding that I'm like, why am I doing this again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's happening again, Plug which I'm it. very excited. It's for Defy Ventures. They're like uh, – they basically provide access for people, men and women who go to prison and serve their sentences uh, to give them civic engagement again. Like get mm-hmm. them diplomas, get them mentors, get them jobs. Like that's their mission. And they're a great organization. And they do – I've done like three field trips where you go to a facility, a prison, and you see the people graduate from the program and you see their families come. And it's the first time many of them have worn a cap and gown. And you're like, oh, my God. And just you sort of cry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very beautiful, and it's yeah. it's good. And the recidivism rate is, like, real. Like, men or women, if they've had a couple stays in prison, they're probably, after three years, like, 50% chance they're back in. And oh, this wow. program is, like, 5 to 10%. They're oh, like, wow. Recidivism is, like, they're – so those kind of small focus things, like, in a world where everything is, like, as you know, our politics are shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you just try to, like – what can we sort of push forward that's decent? Well, and also nice and that, so there's, that there's tangible proof that you're making a difference. Yeah. That's got And it's it, fun. You know? The golf yeah. tournament's fun, and it's mostly friends, and you try to yeah. raise money, and you raise awareness. But it's not like we're thinking about them all the time. We're goofing off and yeah, playing yeah. golf and having catch-up conversations. Yep. So that's like the near future. And then I have a Kevin Bacon thing that I did called Six Degrees, and it's a, a narrative podcast that oh. – uh, Funny or Die made, and it's like 10 episodes. And I play a person, Kevin beat me out for Footloose. So I auditioned for Footloose, and he <laughs> So now I want to kill him, and I stalk his mansion, and I meet Kira Sedgwick, and there's some celebrity. Terry Gross makes oh, a celebrity fun. cameo. Wow. Yeah. So that's coming out on yeah, Spotify, yeah. on these things called Spotify. Uh-huh. Do you know what those are? I do. Yeah. I do. I listen to <laughs> I listen to really old music on that thing. Yeah. It keeps me from having to know anything so new. It might come in your menu when you're listening to old music. All right. <laughs> but I mean, but do you have like are you looking to be number one on the call sheet on some show? Or are you just kinda, you know, looking uh, to be to age gracefully on camera and various character parts or are you just looking to raise kids, you know, focus more on just kids and let the other thing kinda handle itself? I think I chilled out a lot, sort of wrote last year, and I've, now I'll probably hopefully get this indie movie, yeah, small project that I would be the co-lead of, about a couple that wants to unplug from technology to save their marriage, and they, mm-hmm. go, out, they go out in the desert and they freak out because they don't have their iPhone. It's funny, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, solid premise. Yeah. And- uh, You'll get a tan, too. Yeah. And you tan well. And then- <laughs> that's, that's a joke, folks. I have a big sun hat. Yeah. And then pitching like- a couple shows uh, that would be improv friendly. I like the process of developing material by leaving room for improvisation. Not whole whole stock and trade, yeah. But uh, and those would be one I would be in, and one I would just produce. So like yeah. 
hopefully some. So that's sort of like my non-specific projects. And I'm getting a new electric car next week. Nice. What I'm kind? getting the uh, Kia Nero. Nice. Uh, knock on wood. It's been a long. I guess there's not a lot of them. Like the I'm, there leasing, I'm leasing it through Jeff. You know. Yeah. But it's taken forever, and I feel like lucky to get one and it's not even a tesla it's the kia nero i know i have i have so a weird. i have a year left on a lease of just like a small suv yeah and i i want to get an electric i'm getting i i want to get there's a hyundai kind of which Koenig. i think it, kona yeah yeah kona that i i, I look i'll at. tell you i did my research and i'm i'll tell you how the nero goes but i liked it okay. a little better we'll see uh, the only i just need something that i can get a big dog in and out of the back of i can't have a car i need it i think mine has more cubic feet than the oh, really? than the hyundai all right but check it out uh, if if Kia's listening, I'd love like, to get a free electric car. Come on. Kia, if you're listening, I'd I love to get a free electric car. I wouldn't mind one either. Andy wants one too. Yeah, yeah, I want one. <laughs> and I, you know, in different colors for my moods. Well, I wanted a light interior and they only had charcoal because Southern California, the sun oh, right. is so bright. So, yeah. So. Speaking of which, do you think you'll live in California forever? Do you, you have any, any uh, geographic longings that come up? Morgan and I talk a lot about potentially moving. Uh, that move could be like just to a more remote part of Southern California, like Pasadena or something, mm-hmm. or I don't know, Woodland Hills or La Cañada where you have the illusion of like nature. Yeah. And it's, it's, so we talk of that sometimes. And then like the big move where I would leave LA, I feel like that, I don't think about that. Like the, yeah. the, the version that I would love is if we had like a, crazy like summer home somewhere like in the woods or by a lake and then like we could all meet there like family could meet there or people but that's the only near future move that i would do i would but i don't know where you go in la i know it's so it's still it's this town is weird that it's just when you come here and you do this and there are so many people that are like in and out and you're in and out over your time and in your life and your career. And it's just, it's just hard to be like, okay, I'm here and this is where I'm going to stay. You know, it just, and I think there's, you know, there's something roving about people doing this for a living anyway, Mm -hmm. that it's just, it's hard. And I don't, there's times I wish I could just be like, no, just, you know, just settle here, just stay here and stop worrying. Well, I think it's it's got to be the easiest path. Like it just is. Like you yeah. can you could ride your bike to work for God's sake. Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot to be said for like never keeping it convenience simple. is yeah. like. But that is life. That keeping is quality of small. life. That is a quality of life. Like I find at different times in my life, I sort of beat the same path, which is like. You know, I might have lived above the theater, but I sort of like would work and then do shows at night and then go to the bar and see some of the same people. And now here in L.A., I don't go out to the bar anymore, but I I see some of the same people and I do shows or or I go to my TV show and I do that and I see them socially. But it's sort of like, I don't know, like when you started your job at Conan, I'm sure a lot of your early friends in New York were your workmates. Mm-hmm. And you, they were funny people. Oh, absolutely. You shared your life with them. That's similarly what I do. Like, I'll, And so that long story is very conducive to living in L.A. Like, yeah. I like that we have a nice home and we, we're going to host like a game night. And I think it's kind of fun yeah. to mix groups, like to mix the parents from the school that are just parents and then some of your like friends from showbiz. Yeah. And like that's kind of fun. Yep. Uh, that would only happen in LA and everyone's nice. And it's, uh, so there's advantages to LA, obviously, like yeah. the convenience and the nature of it all, like getting out 
to the Los Angeles crest in a second or going to the ocean in a second. Like yeah. that's, and then you can go to San Diego or Mexico. Like it's pretty close to a lot of wonderful. Uh, no, it's a, yeah. You got, you have to, it's a tourist destination. And it's yeah. like you live in one. Yeah. yeah. I live like four minutes from universal. Yeah. Like it's crazy. And it's fun too. Like I've always said, like I've always, one aspect of this is, you know, the notion that you work and then in your fun time, you go hang out and have fun with people. And it's like, when I'm working, I'm hanging out and having fun with people. I'm working with people whose job it is to be funny and yeah. and having fun with them. So it was always, especially like in the early days of the Conan show, I would, you know, when it was also very stressful and I would yeah. come home and, you know, Sarah at the time would be like, come on, it's time to come alive. I'm like, listen, I've been with funny people all day. I don't feel like being funny, which was absolutely unfair. But, you know, it's this kind of thing you figure out as time goes on. Yeah. Well, what have you figured out as time has gone on? What do you, I nice mean. Nice transition. Yeah, it's That was a really good, you mirrored the sentence. Oh, that's going to be a clip. Do you have highlight clips yet? Can I make that, put that in the bin for the highlight clip for 2020? It's just, a, it's a learned hits. skill, like not pointing out everything. Uh, you, know, you do that I have too. not learned that. Yes, of course. That. It was a fucking smooth segue. It's like, I'm inside you now. And you didn't even know when I <laughs> slipped in. <laughs> I feel violated. I don't like your show anymore. Just tell me what you've learned. You're going to get fucking me too right here. Tell me what you've learned, bitch. Uh... What have I learned? This is a great pause. I should have prepared an answer. No, no, it doesn't matter. I guess, what have I learned? Just give I've me your learned, speech. Uh, I wish I had that somewhere. I think I threw it out. <laughs> <laughs> and I threw it out the car window and it hit somewhere yeah, in the yeah. face. <laughs> and they're like, what's this? <laughs> Ooh, I don't know if I like this person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. Just think of it as like, well, what, no, it's good. Uh, somebody, so, uh, you know, a young version of you. What, what are you going to say? Uh, a young version of me would say, develop healthy habits. Uh, try to be the tree and not the rock and the leaf. The rock is stubborn and doesn't move, and the leaf blows with anything. Try to be rooted like the tree. Ah, uh, and I think that's and like. Grow. Well, there, you, the yeah, metaphor yeah. works for growth as well. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's more live. But that's sort of the thing that, like, sometimes in life you're like, go along to get along. Sometimes you're blinded by ego, and that's sort of more rock, I guess, in this metaphor. <laughs> so in the world of, like, be, which I always have been rooted. I'm always, like, fairly humble and modest person, as you know. But mm -hmm. uh, stay rooted in whatever those uh, – traditions and traits you care about or qualities you care about like what what is it what is what's most important to you as a person and those being your roots whether it's taking care of your family your friends being honest being square you know being good to community uh could be religion for some people you know whatever that is to you those traditions and those values those roots uh just be conscious of that you know are you religious i know you were raised religious i mean we talked about it throughout your life about because your folks were. I would not call myself religious. I was raised Catholic and I occasionally go to a Catholic uh, service now and then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like the manger, big fan of the manger sets. I like Ash Wednesday. That's one of the weird holidays where they mm -hmm. put ash on your forehead and they remind you. Yeah. Uh, I like that one. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm not, I'm agnostic 100%. 
Yeah. Did uh, you grow up inside rituals, like gathered rooms where people would do rituals like that? We went to church, but I went to s- different churches that just happened to be local. Yeah. Like we were many different things. We go into, like my mom got remarried and we went to Lutheran church. And, okay. You know, and it was we, never the same. Yeah. And when okay. we lived some, we were Methodist for a while because okay. it's like, oh, there is a church right there. But okay. I never was encumbered by belief in like the, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the stuff. And, but I, what I was going to say is like, I'm agnostic, but. I am a abs- I'm an absolute sucker for Jesus stories for like you know like like at Easter time all the movies that are on and the Christmas stories <laughs> uh, yeah they're just, soothing to you I just I will That's funny. I will listen to that story a thousand times me not so much That's I interesting I think for me it's about tradition so like I margin I like I bleed into religion when I like like I do like Christmas songs I do like songs Christmas songs songs sung in Latin I think they're beautiful yeah, they're operatic yeah. but that's tradition and those are songs that sing praise to Jesus and like do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead I don't need to believe that like I don't need the miracle right I'm more like that's a guy who lived his life and for whatever reason that legacy is super powerful still and he had a lot of radical thoughts mm-hmm. inside a very conservative culture yep he 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 was a revolutionary guy and there were a lot of radicals floating around during Jesus time and not many of those guys are we talking about now right, do you right. know what i mean like yep. it's a significant story to be told but i find also going to church boring yeah uh so i struggle with that yeah I also have children who've all been baptized. I liked that to uh, kind of appease my parents, and I just liked that. So we had both a baptism, and then we had a hippie baptism in our backyard, like me, Morgan, because Morgan's not Catholic or was yeah, never, yeah. and it didn't matter, but the godparents would say more and write more. Like Jude is turning 13 soon, and mm-hmm. Catholic tradition is like confirmation, which we haven't done, and there's communion, which we haven't done. So I don't know what's going to happen. Probably we'll see. But yeah. I do know that I want to have some sort of homemade hippie confirmation, much like, not much like, probably nothing like a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, but marking the moment of 13 into 14 or whatever that that yeah. traditional thing is. And I'll carve it up with Morgan. We haven't really figured it out yet, but I like that. So that's like my spirituality. That's my tradition. That's, that's nice. my religion. I mean, but that's like- That's nice that you are, are like marking it with some kind of- We will, Transitional yeah. performance yeah. kind of ritual, yeah. And I think that came out of probably Catholicism. Yeah. Like the, 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 the seasonal effectiveness of like the readings change in the winter and the readings change in the summer. And, and an appreciation for significance and for, yeah. And it's a reason, yeah, it is a reason to gather and mark, certainly in your kid's life, to mark some transition. Yeah. Like however you do it. It, there's probably no wrong way to do it. Right. You know? And so. Oh, I bet there's a wrong way. Well, to I guess do there's it. a wrong way. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Put him inside a pentagram <laughs> yeah, yeah. and have him worship right, Satan. Right. Lock him in a barrel for three weeks. Watch more Let video games. Visions. Watch yeah. more video games. <laughs> I'm going to corrupt you. Uh, we just, uh, my daughter was just asking me if she was ever baptized. And I said, I, I bet your, your maternal grandmother, when she took you for a walk once, probably took you into a church and got you baptized. Yeah. Yeah, it's like because we worried about we wondered about it sometimes when we lived in New York City and my son was little, and my mother-in-law would my at the my then mother-in-law would say, "I'm going to take him out for a walk." And yeah, I'm like eh, I bet she's getting him baptized. And I'm, my parents <laughs> like get him baptized every week. What do I care? You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's interesting too because who knows what it'll mean to. 
your kids. Like something can mean something. Yeah. Like you could hammer religion into your kids, and unfortunately, that ain't going to make them like religion or yeah. or your religion. Yeah. But there is also like, I don't care if you like it or not, you're doing this tradition because I did it when I was getting in Islam. Yeah. And that's not terrible. That's actually <laughs> like, whether it's like, I'm fond of the Chicago Bears because my dad used to take me to football games. And in seven kids, you didn't get a lot of time with either parent. Yeah. So it was this bonding thing. And like, he would go with guys from the bar on the bus and it was funny and the language was a little bluer. And, you know, of I got course. I got to like hear jokes and stuff. So it felt kind of cool. And yeah. in addition to watching men get brain concussions. <laughs> do, you still, you, you, do you still do your podcast? About I, uh, no, we stopped doing that. I had a Bears podcast. and Called Bear it, Down, which is yes. people know is the, uh, if they don't, it's the, Chicago, the Bears fight song. Yeah, that's the Bears fight Bear song. Bear Down, Chicago, Chicago Bears. Let every play yeah, lead yeah, the way yeah, to uh-huh. history. Bear Down, Chicago Bears. One. Put up a fight with a might so fearlessly. We'll never forget the way you thrilled the nation with your T formation. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Let them know why you're wearing the crown. You're the pride and joy of Illinois, Chicago Bears. Bear down. That's my fastest version. That was good. Thank you. That's a good place to end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm crying. Well, just full disclosure, tear. Andy was crying at the beginning of the interview. I, ha- I am. You have free rolling waves of tears, mm-hmm. which I don't judge. I'm in but pain. But it's hard to terrible, be across from. I have terrible diverticulitis. It's hard to be across I've from been as in a miserable person. pain the whole time. <laughs> All right, uh, Matt, I love you. Thank you I for coming you too, and doing Andy. this show. I'll come um, back. It was a good excuse to ask you probing personal questions that I know you would uh, have Don't just tweet about them. Thrown a drink in my face if I'd asked you in real life. But in, as long as it's supporting your career, adding to the, your your You only want to hang out with me when there's microphones in the room. Yeah. Who's the one? So? Who's the one? I just want to say good to stuff not, that should I'd be I'd love recorded. to hang out without a microphone. Not me. What's the point? Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, I love you, too, probably more than I love Matt, because you're the ones that that it's all for. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. Anyway, but thank you for listening to the three questions, and I will be back uh, next time with someone that I don't love nearly as much. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Golit Sahayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.